0: and welcome back to Women's Star Dublin Lesbian Line's new podcast created to showcase the stories within the LGBTQAI community specifically the stories of Women's Star which includes queer, non-binary and transgender people we want you to feel included whatever way you present yourself to the world so if you have a story you want to tell get in touch with us at www.dublinlesbianline.ie Today's guest is former DLL Wellness Course participant, Neve Kearney, and she spoke to Laura Louise about her struggles with addiction, internalized homophobia, and the continuous work she does to improve her mental health. We started by asking Neve about coming out in her late thirties, and how she first came into contact with Dublin Lesbian Line.
1: So I met yourself. um by taking part in the women's wellness course in Outhouse earlier this year, about a week before COVID lockdown came, we finished up, thankfully. Um, yeah, and I suppose I had come out only a couple of years previous to that. Um, and I turned forty this year and which was a big stepping big Momentous Momentous. Birthday. Yeah, a, a big part, a Milestone. big change in your life, yeah, I suppose, yeah. and um, I, yeah, I had, I, I just had a, I suppose I had a, I came out a lot later, in my opinion, I came out later than a lot of, pe- a lot of people do, but realistically now, having become part of the LGBT community, I realise that it's actually not the case. That there's a lot of people who have come out a lot later than me, um, even recently I, I spoke to a lovely lady at a nice uh, social event in the War Memorial Garden. Um, I was talking to this lovely lady who came out in her late fifties, you know, after being married for years and with two grown-up children. And I, I, you know, she had an amazing story, and it was it was just great just to be able to sit there and swap our experiences of of you know how I thought 37 was late to come out. And this one was in her 50s. So I suppose everyone has their own journey and everyone has their their own time will come. And mine just was, I suppose, a bit later. I think since we did the soapbox sessions, I reflected a little bit on um, probably grieving not coming out till later in my 30s, kind of. Mm. Now that I've started to experience LGBT life and the community, realising the beautiful amazing people that I've met and kind of at moments grieving that I missed out on that for so many years and I spent so many years in a dark dark place with depression and anxiety and addiction problems where now in the space of like such a small space of time and I've had such a change in my life that I just feel I know who I am at last um I love who I am at last, which is an unbelievable feeling to have when you go through years and years of self-hatred and self-sabotage and just abusing yourself, but with alcohol, drugs, food, anything that will change how you feel. I've just had these moments where I felt, oh, I wish, I wish, and I have to kind of remind myself that's just how it is for me, and I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't gone through all those things that I did go through so I kind of recognize it for what it is and say well look I'm only 40 I'm so young
2: absolutely (laughs) yeah Um, Um,
1: and I think turning 40 as well has just really helped me to really not care what people think about me I kind of got that in my mid-30s and coming up to around the time when I, I, I decided to come out, in my experience, coming out for a second time, which we had talked about in the soapbox sessions. Um, but yeah, just that feeling of what other people think does not matter to me. Other people are too busy with their own lives anyway, thinking about themselves, to have to think about me. So.
2: I love that. I've five minutes in and I'm getting emotional. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, I, I, I completely hear what you're saying about that that grieving. I know that a lot of people um, go through that, no matter what age they come out at. I mean, I mean, people that come out at 23 mm. and they're like, I've come out too late because I missed the college experience. Or, yeah. you know, people that come out, you said, in their 50s and their 40s. And I think um, what you said there about that's how it is for me. Yeah. But also, I you know, when I hear people's journeys and their stories that maybe if they had been out earlier... Um, like you're ready to embrace the community now and yeah. all of the richness and, and colour that it has to offer. But maybe before, if you were still um, struggling with the things that you struggled with before, maybe you might not have had the same experience. I know it's you can't compare, and it's there's no you can't you can drive yourself mad with things like what ifs. Yeah, um, but I think that's a really great attitude to have. But I think it's also okay to allow yourself to have that yeah. grief um, and to picture what would the need age 25 have been like on the scene or yeah. what would you know um celebrating her 30th been like I think you know it's definitely okay to to have that to have that um you know imagining yeah of what would that have been like but that to also now that you're it's not stopping you no
1: now. not at all it's make it's kind of making me throw myself into things that I wouldn't I wouldn't have done before um you know signing up for meeting up with people that I don't know and doing activities with them that I would never have taken part in you know even re- recently I went on a adventure weekend in Waterford with an LGBT group and it was absolutely brilliant and I was rock climbing and kayaking <laughs> uh, absolutely unbelievable oh cycled the greenway as well in Waterford got myself a bike haven't had a bike since I'm about nine um, joined a, a casual kind of fun cycling group again another women's uh, gay women's group that just meet up for fun um, and do you know like yesterday we did a 30k cycle so nothing too (laughs) no nothing too big but and yes you know we were even talking yesterday about well what if we did a 100k cycle and we trained for it you know but so I've kind of just putting myself out there to get involved I suppose with other women in the community new friends like lots of new friendships um, and doing things that I just never thought were for me Mm. it was okay for other people to do them or as I used to say it it was okay for other people to be gay but it wasn't okay (laughs) for me to be gay and I kind of looking at my life I kind of see that I saw that in lots of other areas not just Mm. sexuality Um, you mentioned college there I barely even did my leaving cert Um, and god bless my poor parents sent me to one of these um, educational colleges that were like thousands of euro to try and if, you know, to make me go but at mm-hmm. that point I was already in trouble with drink and drugs and had massive mental he- health problems um, but this year I just started, three weeks ago I started back in college and I, I never got to go to college That's you incredible. Know. so um, I had gone and done other uh, diplomas in different mm-hmm. courses over the years but I never actually went and got a degree so it's kind of been a goal of mine okay this is something I want to do so I have signed up and I have started my level eight um, and congratulations. congratulations it's really exciting you that know, is definitely one thing I've noticed that people who come
2: out what they feel later especially people that come out in their kind of 40s 50s it it can often be a catalyst yeah. for you know it's like for you know if you've held something in for so long or you haven't been able to go for what you want for so long that yeah. when you finally come out it's like it's like you're emerging and get to be all the other parts of yourself that maybe you haven't had a chance to yet. Yeah. I, um so I think that's it. so that that makes me feel that maybe forties or thirty seven is the perfect age for yeah, you to come out, you know perfect, yeah. propelling <laughs> <laughs> propelling yourself. Propelling yourself on a thirty K cycle is pretty impressive. Um aiming for I see that sounds really impressive to me because I can't cycle at all so even someone that just gets on a bike and then socializes at the same time um such
1: such a nice way to hang out like and you know with a lovely group of women who are in the same position that they just want to widen their circle of friends Mm. it's really nice
2: yeah it's such a lovely way and I was about to say that sounds terrifying (laughs) (laughs) tea uh,
1: coffee and cake halfway kind of makes it
2: oh okay and the views (laughs) And you mentioned there, um, you know, struggles that you've had with your mental health and addiction. Mm. Um, For people, anyone that wasn't at the soapbox session, would you be okay to go into a little bit more about your background in that, if you're comfortable to?
1: Absolutely. So, I growing up, I would have been very sensitive, or as my mother used to say, super sensitive. Um, And we talked about this in the soapbox sessions. Like I I, I mentioned, uh, as a child, watching myself cry in the mirror. And you had said to me afterwards, you know, that you had laughed with your sister because you could relate to someone in your family doing it
2: similar. It completely warmed my heart. <laughs> just, and just picturing that child, because... Yeah. I hope I can say it, Car, sorry. My sister. <laughs> <laughs> my sister. My sister was the same, you know, and you just... You know, all those feelings yeah. and... yeah. That
1: little girl. That, <laughs> that little girl. I can actually look back on that little girl and little Neve and think, God, I'd love to give her a hug now. Where... For years, I beat myself up for being too sensitive,
0: where mm. now actually
1: I kind of have changed. I used to see being sensitive as a negative, where now I actually see it as a positive. I will go out of my way to help someone if I can, truly, genuinely will. I'll probably put myself in a worse position at times because I can be a little bit too much of a fixer uh, or a people pleaser, but I will really do try to do my best. If I can help someone, I, I will help them. Mm. Um, and I think that that just comes with super sensitivity that i'm very um empathic um i i f- I feel other people's pain mm-hmm. at times um and i i just want to, i want to help them you yeah. know um so i i I've kind of changed my thinking ar- around that um I suppose that's a a a big part of being in recovery so back to what sorry what you said to me was about my Experience with um, addiction and my mental health problems. So, yeah, growing up as a very sensitive child. And I think I was probably around, it, it was around that time that we moved from one area in Dublin to another. And I definitely think that my sexuality was beginning to come out in me then. Um, I couldn't, I didn't know this obviously at the time, but when I look back on memories and I reflect on, situations or people and I can actually I just have these thoughts, these clear thoughts of oh yeah, that would make sense as to I was starting to realize that's how I felt towards women. Um but we we moved to this new area and suddenly I was out of this really comfortable place that I lived in. I was very happy in my school and I suddenly was in a school where I was way behind didn't have any friends mm. I spoke very my I had a bit of a Howie accent as mm. they would say to, compared to where we lived and like I'm not a Howie, but it was I would have been picked on you know for for being different mm. um I dressed differently like these little small simple things that really do matter to kids they were all wearing Doc Martens and I was wearing LA gear with lights and my tongues up uh, and silky tracksuits, and I just didn't didn't fit in. But because I was that super sensitive little kid, I couldn't cope with it, mm. just couldn't cope with it. So the sexuality thing was just way too much to have to deal with as well. So that was being pushed down, and there was no way that was coming out. Um, and then when I was probably 13, I think was the first time I drank, um, and I, I, I somehow managed to move to this nicer <laughs> posher area but I like was like a magnet to the people who had um behavior problems or who had probably self-esteem problems Mm. or family problems so I ended up hanging out with people that were like me that drank and ended up doing drugs in their Mm. teenage years wasn't interested in school I used to see it as I was such a bad teenager and such a bad person and such a bad kid but I, I now know that I wasn't bad I just was really confused and I was just lost. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to express how I felt. I didn't know how to I didn't know how to deal with it. So that's that was how I I managed. Um I remember being a teenager though and my dad saying like when I was about seventeen, telling me I was an alcoholic and I was like absolutely pissed at the time and I think I had been standing on a bridge threatening to jump off, which like w- drunken Behavior would have co- and and suicidal thoughts would have always come in mm. when I got drink or drugs into me and my poor dad, God bless him, um, coming to collect me and, and collect, p- bring throw me in the back of his car or taking me off a bridge, um, and bringing me home and saying, you're, "How you know you're 17 and you're an alcoholic?" You know, and I laughed at him, thinking he's pathetic. Like, how am I an alcoholic? I'm 17, and I'm a girl. Like, as if being a girl makes you can't be an alcoholic. Um, and, you know, I don't think, it, it, it probably didn't really register with me at the time, but it, a couple of years later when I ended up in, going in for treatment, when I was, I was 25, I ended up as an inpatient in St. Patrick's Hospital. Um, and I do rec- recall that memory when I had a conversation, I think one of the first conversations I had with my therapist in there and him saying to me, you know, how does it feel to be 25, an alcoholic and a drug addict? felt like telling where to go i can imagine Um, but also i didn't really believe him you know i kind of thought i'm not how could i be i still saw it as Mm. i i just had this stereo stereotypical understanding of what i thought an addict and an alcoholic was i just didn't think that i fit it into the into the picture i think that's still very prevalent yeah yeah
2: especially the female and young thing. Yeah. I think we, I you don't know, somehow have this image, even though it was so much more educational has come out about, you know, a kind of a, a man on the street with a brown paper bag or yeah. just someone much older Anybody, anyway. Yeah. yeah.
1: And even though I was always one of these people who on the outside, everything looked great. I wouldn't go out without my hair perfected and my makeup done, high heels, you, you know, dressed up as if, you know, you'd think I was, I was probably going to the shops I wouldn't let anyone see me look that there might have been something wrong but inside I was, I was dying. I absolutely hated myself. I hated how I couldn't control my drinking. I hated that I didn't want to go out unless I could get drugs and then I hated myself when I was sober. So it was kind of this vicious circle of how, how am I going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and part of me didn't want to Get out of it either, because I knew that if I stopped, I was gonna have to. I was gonna have to continue with it, and then there was no going back. If that makes sense, it
2: makes perfect sense. Yeah, I I completely get you. Um, because it's really scary. Then I imagine, especially when you've lived that way since you were kind of thirteen, you don't know anything else, and you, you know, all those kind of formative years when you've learned. Socialising and that kind of thing. Sounds yeah. like they were all accompanied by drink and drugs. So you've got to learn not just how to live without alcohol and drugs, but also how to socialise and, and do all those. How to be as yeah. an adult?
1: I think the probably one of the, the scarier things was when I, I so I, when I left the, that hospital I was told, you know, you need to go to AA, that's the only place for you to go and um, I'm so grateful that I, I did go and I I've made such brilliant friends over the years and I've gone to a few different 12-step programs, not just AA, um, I've gone to CODA, which is like a 12-step program for relationships, um, for, tr- for tr- trying to have healthy relationships, um, or people who are codependent, and I, even now, all these years later, I, my recovery, even though I mightn't go to, say, 12-step meetings, everything that I've learned from those is what I practice to keep myself sober and to mm-hmm. keep myself well um, and even I remember w- when I a couple of years ago when I was living up north and I, I did a diploma in counseling uh, therapeutic counseling and I remember thinking this is all like exactly what's out of the big book of AA it was just <laughs> without leave out the God word and yeah. Um, yeah and it was all just it was like a, a different version of it as such yeah
2: which is positive because it means that it sounds like it's quite professional then yeah. you know. and when you if you don't mind me asking when you were leaving St. Pat's and they were saying you've got to go to AA by then had you accepted okay I have a problem I need to do something about this or were you still thinking no. hmm, <laughs> I don't know I was
1: thinking no I'm going to I had heard this thing about get to get three months sober uh, so my plan was I will do that and once I get to three months sober that will prove I'm not an alcoholic and then I can learn to drink again so I did that exactly, I, I got sober for exactly three months mm-hmm. and on that day I was in Canada and I said, okay, not an alcoholic, let's go drinking. And I'm missing maybe six hours of that night because I started off with just having a beer mm. and then that led to another, to another, to another and I'm not really sure then where the rest of the night went. Um, I went on that holiday um with a boyfriend who had an engagement ring with him and ended up coming back single uh, without the engagement ring which was an absolute blessing in disguise because uh, <laughs> yeah thank because. you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: maybe it didn't feel like it at the time though or did it
1: i don't know what i felt like i think i just yeah. i don't i don't think it was I yeah I w- when I look back on my relationships I've I've kind of done a lot of research into codependency because mm-hmm. I would see a lot of traits in me that are a lot of addicts would have or um or even people who are fa- in a family with other addicts that they have these codependency traits and like the people pleasing and the fixing and I um I when I look at the relationships that I had you know it wasn't that actual person it was they were my security it, it, you know I would have if you lined all my exes up in a row it would actually you just wouldn't fi- you could not figure out that, that I would have went out with these people it's like nothing no one has anything in common or mm-hmm. there's no traits um, but I would just find something in that person they would be right that I'm safe if I'm with this person for the moment mm-hmm. and I will just I will stay with them and I, I won't be on my own because if I'm on my own then I'd have to deal with the reality of what was actually going on in my head
2: and were you aware of that or was that something you only realized later no, I had later no idea
1: because
2: yeah. <laughs> you you are incredible I was gonna say you sound incredibly self-aware but you are incredibly self-aware like and you you've you've
1: put the work in you know which I, I know I've said it to you before no like you have put the work in <laughs> I have gone to lots of therapists I, I and I've loved it I, mm. I have loved it um I've gone to therapists when I have been in dire straits and I I will be in a situation and I just won't be able to figure it out by myself. Mm. Um, and I've gone to, I, I've tried lots of holistic therapies as well and I kind of just see it as self-care. Um, mm. You know, I look after. we all look after our physical health as best that we can. And I think for me, my mental health, I have to keep on top of it. Mm-hmm. i have to i i have like I have my own list of things that I know this is what works for me if I do these certain things, I will stay well and mm-hmm. um, if i don't i things will i will fall back into that place of isolating um not getting enjoyment out of the things that I normally would um overeating so i would because we have to eat i would you know, we, we, ca- we can't not eat. Not case. like alcohol, where you can yeah. stop drinking. You can stop yeah. drinking, you can stop taking drugs, mm-hmm. you can't stop eating. Mm. So, that was something that hadn't really been a problem for me before, but then it became in recovery from alcoholism, mm-hmm. that became a new problem Yes, to deal with. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I think I'm way more aware now where I'll catch it. Yes. And um, I, I'll see it before it gets too far, thankfully.
2: I think that's the, the thing, I mean, correct me if you don't feel the same way, but I think sometimes when people think of the word recovery, not just with addiction, but with mental health as well, it's kind of like recovered, you know, like it has a, a, a point where then it's done, you're recovered. Yeah. Bing, you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I really think of it as like an ongoing maintenance thing and more yeah. about learning what's going to work for you. And then not that you won't ever feel bad again, but that you'll be able to recognise things that you'll have you know the self-awareness and then the tools to cope with Mm. with what comes up and sometimes struggles to cope as well that's also part of it I don't think it means you somebody isn't so recover you know yeah I think sometimes about the word recovery can sound very like it's a full stop and then you're done um Mm. and that it's okay to have not okay it's great it's actually brilliant to have all those self-care things um I love your approach to therapy as well and trying holistic things. Um, it sounds like you've done, you know, from being in hospital to holistic to AA to therapist, there's been a really broad range. I love that. I'm really, all about, oh, you know this from me from the wellness course, all about that with mental health with everything. Like, throw everything at it, see what sticks. Yeah. <laughs> there's no one size fits all, you know, just pick.
1: Yeah. You know, just
2: feel what's going to work for you because it's not going to be the same. For no, that it.
1: might not work for you and so on. And I, I, I love that, I suppose. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I think it's
2: it's 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 more freeing than mm. sometimes mental health things can you know can feel very prescriptive and restrictive. Like, oh, yeah. I have to meditate. I have to do this. I have to do this. But actually, you know, it's finding what works.
0: Maybe. Yeah.
2: Um. Could you please tell us about um any personal experience you have with internalized homophobia, and and what that is also if you're okay. able to to talk about that.
1: Um. Please. So yeah, internalized homophobia. I did not know. There was such a thing i didn't know what it was until we sat in this room we're in now the red room and outhouse and it came up in the wellness group for the the women's program and i had this moment like a light bulb went off and i realized that i suffered from internalized homophobia i had no idea um but when i actually did a little bit of research into it i learned that um I would have grown up in a homophobic um, house and society. Um, I was born in 1980 so my my memory of my understanding of gay people when I was say in the 90s, uh, early teenager was that gay people were bad, wrong and immoral.
0: Mm. That if you were
1: gay, you were dirty, you were going to get aids you're going to get hiv um sky news i think was only a couple of years old and suddenly we had 24 hour news and they just concentrated on aids and these people like these people like as if we're another type of human Mm -hmm. we're not like normal humans mutants (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna die and i remember just thinking the words you know queer now, I, I have started to use that word now and I'm beginning to love it, but I have to put effort into it because when I was growing up, queer was a negative term and I grew up with hearing like the famous queers, the wonderful ones like Freddie Mercury, Elton John, um, you know, the queers, like, but not in a good way. And mm. so I just had this uh, this built-in belief that I learned from other people, that I learned from the media, as not just my family, um, that you know it wasn't, it wasn't okay to be gay, and then I kind of realised that that just led me down a road to more self-hatred, more self-sabotage, um, depression, anxiety, never feeling good enough, um, risky behaviours, compulsive mm-hmm. behaviours, obsessive behaviours, underachieving. Um, codependency, people-pleasing, attempts to alter my own sexuality. So knowing I was gay, but making a conscious decision, I am going to turn this off and I am going to be normal like everyone else. And actually practicing that for years. Sometimes I think, I actually, maybe I should have been an actress. (laughs) I spent years pretending, like years and years pretending that, you know, putting on this front that I was actually okay with how my life was, where deep down I wasn't. I was Mm so, so miserable with it Um, and I I, I just didn't know that within me was this, I had learned this, I'm not sure if hatred is the right word, I I definitely had Mm -hmm. self-hatred and I definitely abused myself because of that hatred. But I had, I had this belief that it wasn't okay to be gay and that it what you weren't as good as, or you weren't enough compared to non mm-hmm. gay people, <laughs> which is, I, I just, I remember just thinking, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is something I just didn't know that was there. And, um, and it was, it was great because then I could actually yeah. deal with it and realise, you know i could then actually sit down with my family and have conversations oh wow um, and, and talk about it and i i in my soapbox session i talked about i had come out in my late 20s to a family member and it was taken really badly and i was in a relationship with a girl at the time that i was i was mad about her and i was like having a great time and i came out and it was taken really badly and i was basically told that i was uh, Disgusting, and that I was a disappointment and um, that there was something wrong with me. And I just had such a, my, I had no sense of self and I didn't have enough courage within me to actually just stand up and say, well, that's who I am and that's how it's going to be. I did what a lot of people do. I ended the relationship and I got back in the closet and I got myself into a long-term relationship with a man that I spent years miserable in absolutely miserable and I'd say he must have been miserable too because Mm. how could you be with someone who's depressed anxious and miserable all the time how could you be happy Um, I think it was two unhappy unwell people Mm. who ended up together Um, but yeah so that's what for me coming out and being rejected did for me so it it gave me another 10 years in the closet
2: wow yeah it's really what you said so um, many important things there first about the, um, how internalized homophobia is made in a person because um, you know the messages that we get, especially when we're young, that's what forms our opinions and not just our opinions but our like our, our, our deep kind of core beliefs um, and then how that can resonate with someone without you know to the extent where then a person can become really unwell and have yeah. all these other experiences because of what these negative messages about our identities um that are around us ha- what that does to a person i you know i think about parents a lot and you know a parent that would say "Why, you know i wish th- you know just just hide it just go back in the closet yeah. um, and i think maybe that people don't process that the amount the impact that had is not just that one part of your life it, it, for a person that it can take over their entire life mm-hmm. and, and impact everything and for decades mm. decades too I think it shows you said you didn't have enough courage I think it shows incredible courage actually to come out on that woman's butt twice mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's not I mean it makes perfect sense that after all the messages you had growing up and especially you know the first 13 years of your life it was illegal to be gay in mm. Ireland anyway um and any of the queers that the wonderful queers that were represented not in a good way but were also male it sounds like so yeah. you know not seeing yourself and definitely not seeing yourself in a positive light like you know mm. any any women um that of course then when someone says those things to you like that you're disgusting it just reinforces that yeah. and it's like oh yeah you're right and then that it's not to do with courage the courage is that you then did come out at 37 yeah and do all the incredible... T- and now you're sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's pretty remarkable. I wouldn't say there's a lack of courage there, <laughs> Um I
1: suppose, yeah, I, I couldn't think of one positive uh, role model, gay role model when, growing up, um, where nowadays there's just, you know, there's so many. And in, I had a pretty large group of friends and no one was openly gay. And as far as I'm aware, I'm the only gay, which I find a little bit strange you know hmm. is am i really the only gay like is there someone in the closet maybe I, you know i don't know i don't care god I, I i hope for there if they if there is that they would find the courage to come out but i had a pretty large circle of friends and it, it's only again looking back and going god that's a bit strange isn't it that there was so many of us um i do remember like acquaintances while growing up say like the odd person in school and they, you know, th- a, a, a boy, a teenage boy if, who was gay, who got a terrible time, who was bullied, who was picked on, who was... It just... it There was just nothing that I can remember that was positive. And how you. would that encourage anyone to come to out? Yeah. Or
2: You know... And then, how did you get to this point then? What
1: made you come um, out in the end? So, it would have been... Pain, yeah, loss and pain. So, my dad died in 2017, and I think I just realized you know, my dad was only 68 when he died, and he loved his life, and he was so happy, and we loved him so much. And I remember thinking, I'm 37, I'm miserable. Mm.
0: If I actually
1: if someone was to say you're going to die now it wouldn't actually have bothered me which when I think about it is really sad I would have suffered with suicidal thoughts for years and I my understanding of it now is completely different if I was told tomorrow that I was going to die I would be so so traumatised because I love my life now but back then I didn't I I, I just didn't see any worth Mm. in my life and it was just I just kind of got through I put on a brave face and I just got through and I did obviously have moments where I was happy but I had a lot of time a lot of dark times and I just think I had dad had died I have um there was other personal things had that had happened and gone on and I just thought I can't live like this anymore I'm just gonna have to face up to this and I so I I left that long-term relationship that I was in and I it's so funny, I don't do things in halves, like I left in a snowstorm, <laughs> I packed up my car, didn't tell anyone, left the UK, came arrived on my mother's doorstep with all my bags and I'm like, hey, can I move in here? <laughs> I, le- I had no job, I had no home, I, had no, I literally had no money and my car I had to give back um, because it wasn't in my name, so I had nothing, I was back in my bedroom in my mom's house and I remember thinking, it can't get any worse than this. You know, you, you have lost everything, everything material. I still had all the people around me. And I do remember saying to my mom, you know what, if I have to live in a bed sit on my own, I don't care. If I'm happy, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And now it's only been a couple of years and things have changed totally. I have my own apartment. Um, I have a job, I'm back in college. Um, you know i I've, I've managed to get myself back on my feet by myself and um, well with the help of i have a very very good family as well now that are very supportive but it just shows me that i remember that week of being back in my mom's in my, and in my bedroom going how did i end up here you know and uh, going to go i remember I, I started seeing a psychologist to try and help me to get through that period and mm. um, yeah, it did. It was. It was a lot of hard work, but it was. It was worth it. Um. Yeah, and things have things have turned around.
0: You know,
2: you turned things around. Yeah. Like you are definitely you. You've been absolutely instrumental in where you are now. I don't think it's been, you know, chance and luck. <laughs> <laughs> I think you put huge effort in. Um. So we always kind of like to finish on kind of something, what would you say to people that are listening that maybe either whatever message you want to give either to do with people who feel like they've left it too late to come out or maybe someone who's struggling with um, substance dependency or eating difficulties or maybe someone who's struggling with suicidal ideation, like do you have any any, anything you'd like to say to anybody? Yeah.
1: That's a big one I know. I was looking at my, my bookshelf before I came out and I was looking at some of the books that I have over the years that have helped me um, and the, tw- the, the 12 step program I find really helpful but Russell Brand um, has a book called Recovery and he has rewritten the 12 steps in it um, and they're brilliant and they're so simple and he's taken out God and for people it's, it's just a, I think the 12 step program was written in the 1930s so he has rewritten the steps and has rewritten the program that people can actually understand and relate mm. to. So I would say to anyone that's thinking, I'm in trouble with drink or drugs or food, but I don't want to go to one of those places. I'd say have a quick look at his book and even read his steps. And he, he there's, each chapter has sections in it of how you can help yourself and so, and so on. So that is really useful um, for things when it comes to, say, codependency and people-pleasing and... Not looking after yourself properly. There's a author called Melody Beatty, and she has a book called uh, The Language of Letting Go, which is like daily reflections for people. And I have the app on my phone, and I have the book. And the book no longer has a cover because I've used it so much; it's just highlighted and all dog's ears and everything. But every day is a different little reading. It like probably a two minute reading, but it will always be something that you can relate to in life, and I find that really helpful. Um, She also has a book called Codependent No More, which helps people how to stop controlling other people and start looking after yourself. Oh, brilliant. Um, With coming out as as gay, I think for me, my biggest problem was that I didn't have a strong sense of self. And that was something that I found through counselling and therapy and a lot of hard work was actually building a sense of self. Um, I wish I had a magic solution to say, here, one, two, three, you do this, and then it's there. Um, but for me, that was a, a big part of it. Um, a few things I'll say, though, after coming out, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Um, I had magnified it, so I thought it was going to be a lot worse. People might have felt uncomfortable for a small amount of time, but very quickly they got used to it. Um even my mother, like my mother does talk about now, um, oh, someday if you and a partner have a child, and oh. I think to myself, whoa, this is amazing, my mother is saying, me and another woman having a child, you know, how unbelievable is that? Um, and then look out for shame as well, because I, a lot of my stuff was based around shame, um, and there's nothing to be ashamed about, um, when it comes to being gay, it's just being beautiful. Um, I think... For me, I have my list of things that help me. So exercise, um, I love running, cycling now. Staying sober for me is a big thing. Mm. Getting enough sleep, eating, listening to podcasts (laughs) like this one. Um, Routine and structure, they're all things that would help me to, on a daily basis, um, focus on people that inspire me, not people who annoy me. so easy to just get caught up in that. That's a great one. Yeah. And then someone said to me, um, "If somebody uh, belittles or minimises my experience, that it's not—it's a reflection on them and how they see their life. It's not anything mm. to do with me." So that's something that I—I I suppose I—I really—I um, really liked that when I heard it. I think getting involved with people—you're not on your own. Mm. And I thought for years that I was on my own, and now suddenly. My circle of friends is just getting wider and wider and the groups that I'm getting myself involved in of these people that are just like me. It's, you know, it's it's amazing. It genuinely is amazing. Um, So if you are struggling, ask someone to help. There's so many people out there that are willing to help. Um, You know, The fact that someone recommended your course for me and then how my life has changed in such a small space of time between now you know now and then and the most wonderful women that I've met through that the most wonderful friendships. so um yes don't you're not on your own and ask for help
0: the creators of this podcast are Dublin Lesbian Lines, Laura Louise Condell and Katrina Murphy and we would like to thank Neve for speaking to us for this episode Dublin Lesbian Line is a confidential support service for the LGBTQAI plus community in Ireland DLL is run by volunteers and relies heavily on voluntary contributions, so we would greatly appreciate any financial support you can offer. Whether it's €2 or €100, it makes a huge difference to a small organisation like ours. Thank you for listening and take care.